0: Coming up after 1015, the therapist panel will talk about touch deprivation and the importance of affection in our relationships, also dealing with social anxiety and whatever else comes up. But first, time to check out our inbox.
2: Your texts are always welcome.
0: Connect with passion at 514 800 all right, you can also email me your questions anytime to laurie at DrLori.com. So last week I read a very touching email about Santa Claus and the belief in Santa Claus, which... Uh, You can check it out. Uh, You can hear the podcast, but I'll repeat it again this week or maybe next week um, just because it was just so delightful and so touching. But this person wrote in, We are a young Jewish couple, perhaps considered non-practicing, but both of us brought up celebrating Hanukkah and the other Jewish holidays. After listening to your show Thursday, so I guess it was last Thursday, it brought on a discussion Friday and all day today. We like the way homes light up with colored lights, the joyful music, and the overall goodwill to man spirit the holiday brings. We have two young children, four-year-old boy and a six-year-old daughter. We see no problem in involving ourselves with the spirit of the holidays. We will have a small tree, the first for all of us, with the Star of David at the top. That's what we used to do and called it a Hanukkah bush. Um, My husband went to the store and bought lights for the outside and they will be going up tomorrow. We will buy a small tree, our Hanukkah bush, eventually, and we will all participate decorating it. There's no way a move away. This is no way a move away from our Jewish faith. On the contrary... Adding to the special time, the editorial you read was for all peoples of all faiths and all ages. Both my husband and I were somewhat envious at Christmas and we felt left out as children. I know how that felt back then. I can relate. Uh, We know what Christmas means to Roman Catholics and how they associate it with the birth of Christ. But we also know the meaning of the holidays in general, we think the spirit of Santa lives in us all, and very well should. It was and is a beautiful story. The author of the editorial brought out a meaning that is filled with love, and as you well know, love knows no faith. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, I'm so happy that you uh, you liked it, and uh, I will be repeating it. So thank you, thank you for your thoughts. Um, okay. This is a question by email. My wife cannot enjoy sex like she wants to. When she drinks a little, it gets a little better. At one point, she was taking the muscle relaxer baclofen, overtaking them and she would get very very horny and she loves that feeling sometimes sex makes her burn inside she gets very upset with herself and cries about this we are in our mid-50s and i am and have always been a very sexual person i want to know if there's anything like viagra for women We have been married for 39 years. My wife was a virgin and I'm the only man she's ever been with, but we have talked about light swinging to try to get her going. We are amateur voyeurs. Any advice uh, would help. So there's a a bunch of issues that you're bringing up here. Libido, age-related changes, Fetish, swinging—these are all things you are um, bringing up. Of course, the reason why your wife is more horny when she drinks or is on muscle relaxants is that for a lot of women, a relaxed mind creates a relaxed body, and this is what women often need to feel um, sexual, especially in long-term relationships. And as as women get older, their minds get in the way of—they're they, not able to separate out. Uh, the 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 noise, the background noise in their minds, and what their bodies are uh, feeling. But always having to ingest a substance to get there is not necessarily the answer. But you know, a glass of wine or two uh, doesn't hurt. It's it's uh, it, it it falls within the Canadian food guide I think women are allowed I don't remember how many drinks per week but it's something you need to you could maybe uh, look at so I think it's a question of finding ways for her to be uh, relaxed now having said that that doesn't address the pain or the burning sensation Being over 50, she's probably suffering from vaginal dryness, which can cause that burning. But that can easily be helped treated by a prescription uh, vaginal estrogen creams that are inserted into uh, the vaginas. When you're talking about uh, female Viagra, unfortunately, um, there are very few medications, if any, for women's sexual functioning. There was one called Addy, previously known as Philbanserin. It's available in the US. I believe it's available here. That's for meant for desire. I just want to point out that Viagra is meant to open the blood vessels and to create more blood flow. So if you give a Viagra to women, it creates more blood flow to the genitals, but doesn't necess- doesn't do anything for her desire, which is in the brain. So you need to, to understand that. that. This is why people have been looking for medications that could, or something that could help uh, ignite women's desire. The problem is, is that the, the benefits... Uh, the research on this um, medication, it, it, at least the way I see it, and from looking at the research, the costs don't out, uh, do outweigh the benefits to this. It's a medication that you have to take daily. Um, it co- there are certain restrictions; you can't drink alcohol. You there's a lot of different things that you can't do on this medication. And the studies, the research shows that it only increases, uh, 0.7 events more per month. That's not a lot. That's less than one times of sex more per month to be able to take a medication every day, which is also quite costly. So it's something you need to do your research on, uh, for yourself. Don't just take my word for it, but you can do your research. As for the light swinging that you talk about, that might be a good option for you, but it has its own risks. Like you have to start thinking about the jealousy and the emotional, because then you're involving other people into uh, your uh, your inner circle. If you mean by light swinging j- like going to a swingers club and being voyeurs and observing, you can do that and see how you feel. It might. Well- ignite something it might make you think about maybe going a little further and maybe the the conditions you set with your partner is going to like you have to have a contract or or a discussion about what is allowed what isn't allowed uh, and all of that and maybe what you mean by light swinging is okay we're allowed to kiss other people but that's it Uh, and then you have to think okay well what if your partner crosses the line a little bit and how are you going to feel and so you have to have really really good uh, communication if you are going to do this but Again, still um, an option for you. I discuss all of this stuff in detail, by the way, in my book, which I wrote for people over 50. It's called The Sex Bible for People Over 50. And it has all of this information. The book is available on Amazon. Uh, it's in now in paperback and it's also uh, available as an ebook and it's got lots of pictures as well. Uh, coming up, we've got our therapist panel. We're going to talk about touch deprivation, something we may all be experiencing right about now, but a safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Tonight it is our therapist panel. I'm always excited when we get. Uh, we have this evening the last Monday of every month when we talk about general mental health issues. Uh, we have with us uh, Rebecca Putterman. She is a psychotherapist in private practice. We have Sandra Rich, also a psychotherapist. She's the director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. Welcome, ladies. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Always great to be here with my colleagues. Hi. Uh, Before we go into our, our, I was going to say our meeting, um, (laughs) which is something we've done, but no, uh, our show topics, I just want to share with our listeners and remind them that tomorrow there is a Zoom event on, it's called The Power of Calm. It's a a health series. Uh, You can, anybody can join in. It's at 7 p.m. tomorrow evening, The Power of Calm, so you can learn from a a healing arts uh, practitioner Uh, marina michelle is doing that you can get information at uh, the website is myheartspeak.ca myheartspeak.ca or the spanish.org if you want to get more information but i think it's an opportune time to uh for all of us to learn to get our calm on since I think many of us may be a little more frazzled these days. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I I have cabin fever. Now I know what actual cabin fever feels like. Um, Not getting out of the house enough. So uh, anyway, we could certainly talk about that. But one of the first things I wanted to touch on, and I was having this conversation, ladies, with a girlfriend of mine. And I said, you know what I miss Most something I really miss is hugging my friends, my family. And I realized I haven't hugged my parents in nine months, no hugging. And then I'm, and then I was telling this friend, I saying, you know, what's sad is that I don't even, I feel I've lost the instinct to hug. Because now I see somebody and I'm six feet away. Like I'm, I'm not even going close in, you know, usually I'd be like, ah, so happy to see you. And I'm, I'm a very touchy feely kind of person. So for me, it took some getting used to, but now I feel I'm too used to it. And I don't like it to tell you the truth. And I can only, I am grateful. I practice this gratitude every day that I live with my husband who I can at least get some touch from, uh, which is, you know, really nice in terms of affection. So I know a lot of people are experiencing this. I'm quite sure I, I, we've heard it on some of our uh, text messages that we get. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear from our listeners as well. 514-800 if you'd like to text in uh, how you're yeah, feeling and, uh, you know, talking about this. So uh, we've got, uh, again, Rebecca Putterman and Sandra rich uh, on the line with us. And so what what is the importance of... Of touch, or, or rather, it's not the importance of touch. What does touch deprivation do to us? Sandra, you go first. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a big question because actually touch
2: deprivation causes a lot of symptoms of stress, depression, and anxiety. Um, so those are topics we often cover on this show. Um, actually, when we don't get touched, our, the cortisol can be released as a response to stress, which will activate our fight-or-flight system. Um, so we all know those symptoms that show up in increased heart rate, to blood pressure, muscle tension. Um, there's research that shows we don't sleep as well, um, and there'll be a, a definite increase in depression. Um, the other factor we want to consider is touch particularly cuddling um, releases something called oxytocin Mm -hmm. which makes us feel really good and the bonding hormone yeah the bonding hormone exactly and makes us feel like we can take on the world so if we go the flip side if we don't have that we start to doubt ourselves and not necessarily feel like we can handle things so well
0: right Uh, Rebecca any thoughts uh, on this Are, are some of your clients complaining about this too I think, um, not necessarily the touch,
1: but I'm definitely getting I'm definitely getting a feeling that uh, people are missing company. okay, that's definitely something that I hear more and more. and definitely, on like in the past three, four weeks, what I have not seen since the beginning of Covid is an increase of anxiety and thoughts that I haven't heard. In a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. In fact, new thoughts of intrusive thoughts that I think people are so alone with their thoughts, and people unfortunately believe everything they think, <laughs> and most of it is silly rational, and it's hard to get them to see what's real and not real. You
0: well, know? right. I, sp- I, I suppose when you spend an awful lot of time in your own bubble, right. that bubble starts to look like the reality for yeah. you, right? So exactly. um I know I, I I wish we had some t- you know, I I know there are a lot of people living through this alone and so touch is something they they actually can't access right now. Um yeah. and and my heart goes out to all these people Ooh. including people who are who are in hospital, who are in long-term care facilities, who you know are really like this is this deprivation cannot be healthy or helping the healing process i would think that this touching would help the healing process i know that when you visit old older people in long-term care just holding their hand or caressing their arm makes a huge difference and there's been research on this
1: Mm -hmm. i think that uh,
0: go ahead rebecca Oh,
1: I think there's a huge
0: sort of like a, everyone talking about dogs and puppies.
1: Uh-huh. I actually think that this has a huge thing to do with play and petting and cuddling. I, I think yeah. that so many people who are adopting dogs right now has a lot to do
0: with that issue. And there, it, it's um, it seems that adoption pet adoptions are almost impo- like it's impo- almost yeah. impossible to get an animal right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm just worried about what happens post COVID. But l- let's not let's not go there. Uh, let's let's stay positive and you know think this yeah. through. Uh, we've got a text who says we are conditioning ourselves to be even less connected than ever before. I can understand not hugging a loved one aged and in high risk, but kids and young adults, I think it is a calculated risk that it may be worth taking, just not healthy on so many levels. And I agree weighing the risk of, just the risk of the deprivation, like what that will do to our mental health. Like I think we're all looking at the physical aspects of the pandemic more than we than anything else. But there is an emotional cost. There's an emotional toll and and a, a psychological toll that it's taking. and we're seeing a rise in uh, suicide rates, for example, and a rise in all kinds of other stuff that, that's scary to me. Like that's Mm -hmm. really scary. So maybe we do need to find a way to minimize risk, but not lose the whole touch. Someone else writes the result of the pandemic for me is an almost constant sense of arousal. One other result is I constantly fantasize of kissing something I am not used to. So it's like, wishing for something you don't have. Right. It's like aching to me, being in that state of arousal is aching for the touch. It's, it's desperately needing that kind of, uh, of touch and, connection. and right. And when you're deprived of something, you dream about it, you fantasize about it. So that's kind of a natural thing. Uh, we can move from this to I was reading um, some research on um, affection in, re- in, in relationships, and I've talked about this uh, in the past, but one thing that for people who are married for a long time, well, they don't have to be married, but long-term relationships, if you ask them about their levels of affection, they will often say there is less and less affection. And I think people have to really... Put this on their radar. The, the hugs and the cuddles and the caressing and the kissing tend to be more important than even the sex in, uh, in long-term relationships. Sandra, what do you think about that?
2: Well, I, you know, I think that I'm going back uh, a few minutes ago. You were talking about some of the research, and I, it's flashing in my head the research on pain even. So you're in pain, emotional pain, physical pain, um, they've studied that if your partner holds your hand or rubs your arm, the pain is hugely, and I mean hugely diminished. It's, right. uh, they, they have the wires and the graphs to be able to show this. There's no doubt about it. So um, when you're talking about couples not showing affection towards each other, again, where's our immunization against pain? And pain is a reality of life, whether it's physical pain, psychological pain, emotional pain. So I, I really agree with you. We cannot underplay the importance of physical touch it's extremely important extremely powerful Uh, you want to be able to reach out as a matter of fact I'm sure some of your couples show up in your offices they do in mine when those moments have been missed in relationships Mm. those are where are called attachment injuries like really profoundly painful moments for couples that take lots and lots of work to overcome
0: absolutely Uh, hi I'm a healthcare worker and whenever I can I will hold an elderly patient's hand with gloves on I think that's Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I'll just take one exception to your what you just said about reducing pain. Um, that touch will reduce pain. It's during childbirth. During childbirth, you don't want to be touched. It's like, get (laughs) away from me. Get away from me. Let me go through this. Go away. That was your experience. That was my experience. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Coming up, we'll talk about social anxiety with my therapist panel, Sandra Reish and Rebecca Putterman. That's after we check in with our CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure
1: and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to
0: Passion, CJD 800. It's the therapist panel tonight talking about mental health issues. We talked about uh, touch deprivation. Rebecca Putterman, psychotherapist, is with us as is Sandra Reich, also psychotherapist and the director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. couple of texts here. I just tuned in. I have not touched a living being, animal or human, since February. And pandemic or not, there's little hope of any affection ever since I'm a single senior with no family left. Is this supposed to be detrimental to my health in some way? And this is um, a female. Rebecca, how would you answer this person?
1: Yeah, no, you know what? Sometimes I think the way we live our life and we've adapted to it, I don't necessarily think it's detrimental If you speak to some people sometimes and, you know, we're social beings and sometimes I think some people have lived alone or have lived experiences that make them or want to be alone or not want to be touched. Uh, everyone has a different experience with it. I don't think that there has to be a consequence to it if you don't feel there's a consequence to it.
0: Right. And actually, there's research. Interestingly, there is research to show that comparing lifelong singles, seniors, lifelong uh, singles, uh, that they are actually uh, better off psychologically than people who become single later on. So, that's what the research actually uh, shows so I, I don't think I would worry about it but if there's a if you're missing some of this stuff yes getting a pet can help also when the pandemic is over there's um, volunteer organizations I know that I used to be there uh, when I was a young adult I used to go visit seniors and and you know take them out and hang out with them and, and stuff like that so there is that possibility as well. So you can always contact your local CLSC uh, and find out, but that's post-pandemic, not during. Another text writes, they will immunize us from COVID eventually, but tens on millions into ment- mental health care because of the mental impact. Yeah, they're going to have to put money into that for sure. Uh, But the damage is done. Family distancing, close friend distancing. It seems to me the cure is worse than the cause. Polio epidemic caused incredible social problems and the operation was far Even after inoculation, impact was felt felt, uh, years after. I don't disagree with you. I think if you look at... The our field in mental health, we're all really busy. People are needing it. Uh, there's this even the stigma of seeking out help has diminished uh, because of this. Uh, I think the government is working towards opening up. Uh, more possibilities for people to get help. I, I I got something from the Order of Psychologists saying that the government is f- will be funneling some funds so that people who um, can have access to therapists, because many of us are th- are in in the private sector and there's just not enough therapists. And I know Rebecca, you work in the public sector as well. You could probably yeah. speak to that, but that there aren't enough. I don't know. I don't know what your waiting lists are um yeah well, we have a wait
1: list of about three months now
0: three months to get help and when somebody's in crisis what are they supposed to do in a situation so when like someone's that? in crisis actually we will put them
1: first in line
0: okay so yeah so at least where
1: i work you know right we make
0: sure that if someone is in crisis or if anyone has they go they get bumped up they but, get, but they I, get seen right away within a week Okay, so that's good news. Yeah. Um, but again, uh, I think people struggle to find, you know, to find Absolutely. to find help. Very good stuff. But, but I again, like I think for people who
1: are unlimited,
0: who have limited
1: finances, there still is the CLSC. Some people have doctors affiliated with a GMF, what's called the Group Medicine Familias. I mean, yeah, that's something I work at. And everyone has a therapist affiliated with them. Okay. There's the Montreal Family Therapy Centre that gives sliding scales of $40 a session. There's the uh, Line 211 that is social services that they can get someone to talk to, the Argyle Institute. So I, th- I think there are services. There's no question you're not getting it immediately, but there still are org- like organizations and right. support.
0: And I do want to give the phone number the Canadian Mental Health Association. They have a 24-hour helpline, and yeah. it's 1833 four, five, six, four, five, six, six. So one, eight, three, three, four, five, six, four, five, six, six, which is great that they have this, this helpline. So if anybody is in crisis, uh, tonight, and two, one, one, right. You, okay. So two, one, one gets yeah. you, it's for psychological distress, support. right? Yeah. Okay. So that's good. At least we have some support for, uh, I, I think at least there's been a recognition from the powers that be a recognition that there's a different kind of suffering that there is, it's not right. It's not just a COVID and it's not just worries about, about getting sick, but there's all the other implications that it has. Yeah, And And I think, you know, I think unfortunately
1: the government gets a lot of uh, backlash and the truth is that the government is also, it's not just about reducing COVID. It's helping our healthcare professionals. Because right. the truth is, the healthcare professionals are burning out. From the PABS, the nurses, the doctors, it, they like. I think the government needs to maintain their health, their physical health, and their mental health, which is a big part of asking people to be more careful. It's not just making sure we don't get COVID. It's making sure we don't inundate a healthcare system that's already inundated.
0: Right, and and it's true. Lots of people are burning out, and we have to yeah. remember that the frontline workers need yes. su- need a lot of support right now. Absolutely. Like they need a, a lot and from working
1: in a hospital and I think people have to be very careful. I know this is a, difficult, but I think we have to be very careful with how we look at everything.
0: Right. So I want to move on to talking about uh, social anxiety, social anxiety and depression. I saw such an interesting study that I wanted to share with you and, and with our listeners. This was a study that it looked at the association between symptoms of social anxiety and depression with participants' extent of dating app use. So we, we get a lot of you know younger people and, and people of all ages really using um, dating apps and and what was their likelihood of initiating interaction with dating app um, matches? So what was interesting? So what's interesting about social anxiety and apps is that you can and maybe Sandra, you want to define what social anxiety is? Let's look. Let, maybe we can start with that. Okay. Briefly, um, well, briefly, because then we'll talk to we'll talk about yeah, the rest. Yeah, it's we'll somewhat
2: a uh, self-describing. So it's uh, when people are feeling social anxiety, they tend to be very fearful in social situations, particularly with people in authority, um, people of authority, or perhaps eating in front of someone. These are all relevant to dating, of course. Eating in front of someone right. being seen by someone and a fear of being judged or scrutinized. That these are symptoms that show up with social anxiety. Okay. Sometimes it's even about going to the bathroom
0: right wow fast okay enough. yeah that's fast enough uh so coming up we'll continue our discussion on social anxiety and the link between dating apps and social anxiety passion with dr lori Batito on cjad 800 Tonight, it's our therapist panel, Rebecca Putterman, psychotherapist, Sandra Reich, psychotherapist and the director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. Uh, We're talking, we've been talking about touch. We've been talking about social anxiety. Uh, There was a study done looking, linking social anxiety and depression with dating app use. And there's a link between those who have social anxiety and depression using dating apps and what they have found and it's not surprising is that those people um, yes they're motivated to use dating apps because it's safe but they are also less likely uh, to make contact like to, to, to actually have contact with anybody they match with in real life so Obviously, I mean, more research is needed to, to look at some of this and, and why this happens. Mind you, I don't think it's hard to understand why this happens. When you're behind a computer, a lot of people with social anxiety don't go out much or do tend to isolate themselves, but feel safe behind a computer or, uh, you know, in, in, in dating things. So they could very well have lots of great matches and have lots of great Personality traits and 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 everything else, but when it comes to moving it into real life, that's when it uh, it becomes a problem. So, how do you? I'm surprised they're even on the app. I but I'm not because they want the con. Like it's not that they don't want to meet people because that desire doesn't go away. But it's safe. It's a safe way to do it. And during COVID times, even better because then it, well, you amazing. have an excuse. My socially anxious
1: people are really liking this because they don't have to go out. They don't have to go talk to anyone. But it's true. That's why I'm saying most of the people I've worked with on social anxiety really appreciate this because I'm not telling them to try out their behavioral (laughs) experiments. They're like, this is perfect i'm right i don't have to go it i'm not allowed to actually
0: yeah that's right i'm not Where... allowed to so it's when it's imposed on you by someone exactly. else it's like i'm uh, i'm good with that you know so yeah. uh which i find so interesting <laughs> but how do you help people um you know get past that uh, Sat- which part of it well well the social anxiety under normal circumstances what is how do we treat social anxiety Sandra do
2: you want to go ahead um sure you know again understanding I think starting with understanding social anxiety helps a lot where does it come from and it often comes through critical parents and so I think going back and understanding the idea of what criticism means and also the idea that um, our fears of other people judging us Like Rebecca said earlier, I think, I don't know if it was off the radio or not, but that we tend to believe the thoughts in our head, that we tend to think that whatever we're thinking is what's actually happening. So we do a lot of uh, thought challenging and helping people to understand. Um, that one of the reasons we think that people are judging us so much is we're often judging ourselves very harshly. So Mm -hmm. we want to work a lot on self-love, gentleness, and compassion. And the idea that, you know, and it's relevant even now that we're all in this together, that we all make faux pas and we all do things that are, you know, not always so perfect and it's okay. And often what we do is we actually, under normal circumstances, not now, we do exposure therapy, meaning we do graduated steps towards Um, facing some fears of yours, like spilling a coffee at a coffee shop and seeing if that's survivable, which of course it is. Um, And as we start to get used to those things, it becomes, our body gets more and more used to it that we can handle it and it gets easier and easier.
0: And also when it comes to dating, you can start with, uh, you know, a lot of people do, do, they connect through text messages. I, I would say one of the very first things is you move it to, uh, FaceTime so that you're mm. actually getting to see the other person right. and, you know, and, and, starting, starting there and get past that fear. And then, which is kind of exposure therapy right there, right? You're, you're, you're mm-hmm. building up, 100%. you're, you're kind of building into uh, into that, but you're so right when you say the people who are, are the ones now who had tended before to be more, to isolate themselves more because of their anxiety are finding this to be a uh, relief, you know, they're, they're kind of saying, oh, I'm not I'm not sick anymore, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, this it's is okay now. With
1: people with germ, like people who I've worked with who have serious germ phobias are very also content because they're getting, like, you know, look, I was right all along, you know? So it's very, <laughs> people have to be very careful with situations like this because you can keep staying in a bubble even after all this is done.
0: Very true. And how, and and I think there's going to be a movement towards how do we reintegrate (laughs) back into normal living? And I don't even know how long that is that going to be in a year from now, two years from now, like, do we even know that right and exactly and how will we be perceived if we still want to wear a mask like i don't think it's a bad thing to be wearing a mask in public places during flu season nor do i think it's a bad thing to wash your hands 50 times a day when you're out when you're not in your home for example so you know we're going to reduce flu in general by maintaining some of these practices. And I heard plenty of people say, I am going to continue to wear masks even once COVID is over in public places because it makes sense. So we're going to have to learn a whole new kind of way in there. Uh, We've got another text. We should not need this even under these circumstances. Sweden, about the same population of Quebec, never shut down fully, social distancing from non-family, a bit less infections than Quebec, few less deaths, but nowhere near the mental health issues we are having. I know this is fact. I have a girlfriend in Sweden since the start of COVID, but Swedes are more compliant to rules than Quebecers. So I wonder Mm -hmm. if it has to do with our difficulties with compliance. Is this... uh, I don't know if we need to understand this from a psychological point of view. Why, why are people n- not compliant? Sandra, do you, you want to answer that? I, you know what,
2: Dr. Lori, I'm going to say that we need to do a show on that because I have a lot to say about that. I find yeah? it quite fascinating. And I think that we're going to be studying that for years to come, the level of denial and mm-hmm. the games we play with ourselves. I think it's a very fascinating psychological concept. I'll agree.
0: So do we agree that, uh, next month possibly, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if we're, we're not doing it next month because it's in the smack in the middle of the holidays, but f- maybe in January we yeah. can talk about denial and non-compliance. Yeah. So remind me cause, uh, all right, good. We'll talk about that ladies. Thank you so much. Uh, Sandra, fine, where, yeah. where can people reach you?
2: Uh, you can give us a call at 514-777-4530 or through uh, our website, helpforanxietydepression.com.
0: Wonderful. And Rebecca, if people want to get in touch with you. 514-402-5526. Thank you so much, ladies. Stay safe. Thanks, Lori. All right. You See take you. care. Bye, Laurie. Good Bye. night. Stay Bye. safe. Andrea. Bye-bye. Uh, thank you all for uh, spending your time with us. Certainly, uh, do appreciate it. You know that. Uh, thank you to our technical producer tonight, Dave Simon. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, DrLori.com, where you have access to all the podcasts of all past shows. Uh, but if you have the iHeart app, you can find them there too. If you just go to the CJAD. Uh, page as well if you want to send me an email if you have questions about sex love relationships you can send them to me by email they are always uh, anonymous so i'll never use your name but i will answer them on the air so you can send that to me to laurie at coming up next year on cjd we bring you the ctv national news have a great rest of the evening stay safe and remember to live your life with passion